Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. Living Faith features the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church from our Sunday morning and evening services, as well as our Wednesday night Bible studies for students. First Baptist Church exists to glorify God by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ so that the lost might be saved and the Christian might be equipped. God's primary tool for this kind of growth is the regular preaching and teaching of His Word. That's why here at First Baptist, our prayer echoes that of the psalm. Above all else, God's Word and God's name should be exalted. Our guest preacher for these next few weeks will be Dr. Thomas Townsend. Let's listen as he brings us the Word of God. I'll be in Matthew 18 today. How to be great. Not something that we usually think about in our own circles, at least not out loud. But we're going to talk about this. So, as is my custom, if you would stand with me for the reading of the word, in honor of that, first six verses of Matthew 18 reads this way. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you be converted or change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Let's pray. Father, we just praise you for who you are. Lord God, thank you so much for the joy and privilege of worshiping here in Avon Park. Father, I just thank you for these folks. I pray that together we'll honor and glorify you above all things. Lord Jesus, keep our hearts and minds open to your truth. And then grant that we would have the strength to act on whatever it is that you're asking us to do. Father, personally, I just thank you for the privilege of being here. Allow me the privilege of stepping back and allowing you to step forward to proclaim what it is that you would have us to know. And thank you for the decisions being made. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. How to be great. Well, I tell you, this is not something, by the way, they asked me if I wanted to stand at the pulpit. Eh, Not happening. Uh, This is a subject that we really don't want to discuss in Christian circles, religious circles. It just sounds so, uh, it's just crude and crass, I think. You're not something, a subject that you're going to talk about in your Sunday school or Bible study classes. Who is the greatest in our Sunday school or Bible study class? Who's the greatest in this ministry? Who's the greatest at First Baptist Avon Park? Who is the greatest? Well, this is a a discussion the Bible tells us that the disciples were having. In fact, Mark and Luke in their ninth chapters of each talk about this particular interchange of, of discussion with Jesus. And Jesus knew it all along. He understood the discussion. He understood people's weaknesses about who was to be great. But why? Why was it even discussed? Well, you've got to understand that the disciples believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the one whom Isaiah pointed to in Isaiah 53 and others. 
And we recognize the fact that the disciples felt along with the rest of the Jews during that 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew that when the Messiah came, he was going to restore the throne of David and restore the nation of Israel to its former political and military religious prominence. And when he did that, when the throne of David was restored, the Roman occupation would be uh, over. And so it would be Jesus being the king of Israel, sitting in King David's throne according to their thinking, and to this day that's the way they feel, that it would be his power to appoint someone to sit on his right and someone to sit on his left. And there was discussion among them who would occupy these seats. So the discussion was who is the greatest among us? We see even two chapters later in Matthew 20 that James and John's mother went with them to implore Jesus to put one of them on either side of him when he reestablishes the throne of David. His earthly kingdom is what they thought. And she probably said, you know, those, those other 10, probably good boys, and their mother would say the same thing that I would. Judas Iscariot's a little bit suspicious, she would probably say out loud. But, but my boys, you got to understand, are head and shoulders above the other 10. So I implore you, Jesus, let one of them, I don't care which one, I mean, I'm not asking much, let one of them sit on your right hand and one of them sit on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, it's not mine to give and you're not, you don't really know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink from? Thinking in kingly terms, she said, oh yeah, my boys can do this. Well, Jesus said, there are three steps to greatness. And it probably blew them away when Jesus took a small child, I'm thinking around five or six years of age, and stood him right in front of himself and said, this is going to be the pattern of your greatness. Not some king, not some throne, not some powerful figure. Wall Street, Washington, D.C., the Capitol, the Tallahassee, whatever you see as greatness, these landowners are, are power figures that you may have in your own mind. Jesus is just smashing those concepts because he takes a small boy and puts him in front of himself and says, now, if you want to be great, you're going to be like this child. So he outlines three steps right there. Let me leave those with you today. These three steps are number one, to be converted. For he says in verse three, except you, unless you change or be converted, now, I will admit that pastors have really confused this idea of repentance and conversion. Let me simplify it for all of us here today, okay? Repentance and conversion are two sides of the same coin. You can't have repentance without conversion, and you can't have true conversion without true con repentance. One leads to the other. In the understanding of repentance, that word literally means to change one's mind that results in the change of behavior. The change of behavior is conversion. But you can't have conversion without repentance. 
You come in that place with the Lord Jesus Christ where where the Holy Spirit's been working in your life and you're falling under conviction. You say, you know, I agree. There, no longer do I want to be the captain of my fate because I know I'm not anyway. No longer do I want to be the master of my ship because I know I'm not anyway. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I commit my life to your lordship and leadership. That change of mind says that no longer do I want to do what I want to do all the time. Now I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. And that's a change of mind. And that results in a change of direction. That change of direction is conversion. Now, Billy Graham made the statement some years ago that the greatest field of of, uh, endeavor is going to be in the local congregation because so many unsaved are sitting in the pews. My question to you this morning is, do you know Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in him as your Lord and Savior? Have you turned your life completely over? Have you come to that place in your life where you say, I no longer want the reins of my life. I no longer want to be in control of my life. Lord Jesus, I submit myself to you and your Lordship, and it's all yours. Have you come to that place where you have repented of your sins, not just asking God, saying that you're sorry, but truly repentance? The Bible says godly sorrow may precede repentance, but don't ever confuse sorrow with true repentance because in my experience, I've seen a lot of sorry people in jails and prisons, but when you talk to them, most of them are just sorry they got caught. And so sorrow is not true repentance necessarily. Now, it will precede true repentance, but it's, don't confuse it. True repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Has that happened in your life? And if not, do not leave this building this morning until you've got that rectified. So, be converted. Step number one toward greatness. Number two, be childlike. Now, Jesus, there's all the difference in the world in being childish and being childlike, okay? Jesus is not asking them to be childish. That's the way a lot of our Baptist churches get formed, by people being childish. Oh, I've been in the pulpit of a number of them. You know, but it's being childlike. You know, Mary Jo and I raised five kids. In fact, at one time, we had five teenagers. They're so close in age, living in under the same roof. I know, you see that show Survivor? They have no concept. But I feel so much about children that, We love children. We love our own children, but we love grandchildren. Man, you talk about grandchildren. Somebody has said grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your own children. (laughs) That's true. Boy, we got the best grandkids in the world. I don't know how they came out of those children of ours, but someone else said the main purpose for holding children's parties is to remind yourself that there are children more awful than your own. Another person said, we child-proofed our home, but they still got in. (laughs) And this is one of my favorites. If you have a headache, do what it says on the aspirin bottle. Take two aspirin and keep away from children. (laughs) Well, that having been said, 
You'll know that Mary Jo and I love children. I've done a lot of work with kids over the years. I work a lot with orphanages and, and uh, children's homes, and I, I love it. I love children. But I do know that there's a difference in being childish and being childlike. Jesus said, except you be converted and become like little children, you can in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. It can't happen. So we got to be childlike in our approach, not only to Jesus, but to one another. Now, there are three things about being a child. First thing, there's what I call the wow factor. When was the last time you sat in the presence of Jesus and just went, wow, you know, wow. Our oldest grandson, when he was four years old, he was at our home and just got up in the morning. And I'm telling you, to me, there are only two types of people in the world. There are those that wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord, with a smile on their face. And there are the others that say, good Lord, morning. You know? I know some of you are, I see the elbows going right now. Cody, our grandson, was a good morning Lord person. I'm a morning person. Well, our children used to tell their mom, they said, we, we love it when dad takes us to school, but does he have to sing, you know, in route? <sighs> so... I like the wow factor. Cody's one of these kids that when he burst in the room, I mean, it just, the, the, the sunlight is on and, and he's alive and well and good morning. And he greets you as a four-year-old. He's a lot older now, but when he was four years old, he was that kind of kid. And he was just energetic and vibrant in the morning and ready to seize the day. And I remember one morning we were going out. We had a citrus tree on the side of the house. And it was, the sun had just come up and, and I said, you want to walk outside there, bud? And he said, yeah, let's go, Papa. So I took his hand in mine and we ran around to the side yard. And there as the sun was coming up, we, there was this intricately woven spider's web right there between the branches of that citrus tree. Hmm. And the sun was coming up behind it and it was revealing the dew that had settled on the outline of that spider's web and they look like little drops of diamonds. You can picture it. And Cody with my hand in his looked up at that spider's web and he went, wow, Papa, would you look at that? Wow, he said. I said, isn't that something, son? He said, wow, how does that spider do that? I said, well, son, that's easy. You see, God has instructed that spider to such an extent that he takes the silk from inside his body and weaves it in just such a pattern that God has instructed him to do so that the finished product looks just like that. Cody looked up and went, wow. He said, and how, where does that spider get the silk from inside his body? So, I've got a doctorate degree. <laughs> I told Cody, I said, um, I'm thinking about it. And so I did what any other parent or grandparent would do in that situation. I distracted him. Because <laughs> I had no clue. I said, Cody, let's go chase that butterfly. Okay, Papa, let's go. And we went off. And the whole time I'm thinking, wow, 
How does he make that silk inside his body? I don't know. Now, some of you scientists will come up to me probably afterward and say, well, I know how he does that. And Well, good for you. <laughs> the wow factor. When was the last time you were truly wowed by God? Irma Bombeck, one of my favorite philosophers, said there's nothing sadder in this world than to awake Christmas morning and not be a child. I think the sadder part of it yet is to be a believer in Jesus Christ and awaken in the morning without that wow experience. You look in the morning and and you see the sunrise and you hear the rain perhaps or or you see the the flowers and listen to the birds and it's just got to be a wow experience. And one of the saddest things in my life is that when I preach in pulpits, not just in this state, but in other states and throughout the world. I see believers who are defeated, depressed, discouraged. They they need to recapture that wow factor. When was the last time you were wowed by God? The psalmist was wowed. The psalmist said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which... You have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Wow. Because you see, life is not measured by the number of breaths you take, but by the moments that take your breath away. I have these wow moments all the time. I have a fishing buddy and we're out on the lake and he has those times. He says, can you believe we live in a place that has sunrises like this? Can you believe we're out on a lake fishing? Can you believe we caught something? Sometimes I say, can you believe we didn't? You know, but we're out there. And what a glorious thing to see nature in its finest. Wow. You know, when the Hubble telescope years ago started sending back photographs from the far regions of the universe, the scientists, I never will forget, there's a little bitty article in the newspaper following that. And it says, scientists have had to reconsider the fact that about the universe because they believe the universe is actually larger than they originally thought. And I wanted to go, duh. God is larger than you originally thought, if you thought it at all. Because we live in a universe that scientists by by whatever conservative measure, say they must be 50 billion plus galaxies in the universe and each galaxy has millions of stars. So calculate that out. And if that doesn't cause you to say, wow, and say along with the psalmist, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you would send your only begotten son into this world nearly 2,000 years ago, that he would come in the flesh, that he would live, that he would talk to me personally that he would die on the cross for me and my sin and would be buried and raised again the third day according to the scriptures and that if I would simply believe in him, I shall not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. I mean, folks, if you can't get beyond John 3.16, you're okay. But even at John 3.16, it's got to be a wow encounter for you. When was the last time you were wowed? 
how sad it is to be a, a true believer in Jesus Christ and to not be a Christian every morning of your life as though it's Christmas morning to a small child. To wake up in the presence of Jesus in this life, to know that you'll wake up one day in the presence of Jesus for all eternity, to be able to spend your life for all eternity in God's presence. Wow. Folks, you know, if that doesn't, Get you all fired up, your wood's wet. That's just all there is to it. Secondly about it, he says in verse four, whoever humbles himself like this little child, what is humility? Humility is the ability to put Jesus first, others second, and self last. That's what humility is. It's the recognition that I am not in control. I, I, I am not all powerful. I'm not omniscient. I'm not omnipresent but God is. It's the understanding that as we grow older, we come to a complete, hopefully, understanding of who we are in God's presence, and that causes us to be humble. We would rather boast in the Lord than boast in our own accomplishments. We would rather put Christ forward than put our own self-esteem out there. That's what humility is. And I think the third characteristic of being childlike is, is trust. You got to trust. Trust. Well, the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Trust. Do you trust God? Do you really trust God? Do you find yourself in prayer getting up, having laid your prayers, your praises and petitions at the altar of God and getting up thinking about it and worrying about what you just prayed about? That's not trust. Trust is that little child that, that when a father says, jump, son, he knows he's going to be caught. When a father says, son, just come across, that's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Trust is that ability when a small child looks up to that parent and, and knows that that parent has his or her best interest at heart and would not dare do anything to harm that child. That's trust. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you trust him? Is that a part of who you are? The wow factor. So be converted, become childlike, and thirdly, become cherishing of children. For Jesus said in, Matthew, in verse 5, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. What do you look, see when you look in the eyes of a child? If you don't See, Jesus, you're not looking deeply enough. Because Jesus said, he who receives a child, a little one in my name, receives me. And I do think this could be appropriate for new believers in Christ, babes in Christ, baby Christians. I do believe that this is also appropriate for them. Not to do anything to cause any of the physical children or spiritual children to stumble in their walk with the Lord. Well, 
You know, Mary Jo's given me permission to tell this, and she's heard it a number of times, but I was so impressed with it. At the last church that I pastored, we had we had a little girl, as my dad would say, was was tougher than a nickel steak. She was a fifth grader. She took no prisoners. Nobody wanted her. Nobody wanted to be around her. Her parents didn't come to church. She just got picked up by some friend, by some families in the church. And this little girl was always, always alone, and she preferred it that way. She had a huge chip on her shoulder. I remember on, on suppers at the church, I would come, and she'd be sitting all alone by, at a table by herself, and I'd try to sit somewhat close to her because you didn't dare touch her. And she, she'd look at me, and I'd look over there at her, and I'd say, you know what? Jesus loves you, and I love you. No, you don't, she'd respond. You don't love me. You don't even know me. Do you know me? No, you don't know me, she'd say. You don't know my family. You don't know who I am. You just don't know me. I'd say, that's all right. Jesus loves you, and I love you. No, you don't, and she'd leave it at that. She was a defiant child, and, and I remember one time she jumped up on a table and just sat there on the table, and one of the adult leaders came by and said, ask her politely, would you mind getting off the table? She said, no, and not only that, you can't make me. And I saw the hair on the back of his neck stand up. I said, let me take this, okay? And I just, this went on for like nine months. One time on a Wednesday night, we had a lot of children coming to the church. And one night on a Wednesday night, the fifth grade girl's teacher came to me unusually at the midpoint of that particular time together and Mary Jo was standing next to me and she looked at me and she said you know what pastor I have 16 fifth grade girls in my class tonight and I said oh that's great no it's not she said it's not no because that little girl is acting out so badly that I told her to sit right there in that chair and I dismissed the other girls and I told her that you would come in here and take care of her. <laughs> I'm thinking, you said that? She said, yes, I did, and now what are you going to do? Well, Mary Jo looked up at me and she said, you want me to handle this? I said, please. So Mary Jo went and to this classroom and got knee to knee with this girl face to face, just one-on-one, just her, this little girl, and Mary Jo in the same classroom. And she said to this little girl, why are you so angry all the time? The girl said, well, because. You don't know what it's like being me. You don't know. Nobody in this church knows what it's like being me. You don't know what it's like. She said, well, tell me. Maybe I can know. She said, well, you don't know what it's like. Your parents are drunks. You don't know what that's like to be home, to be home alone. Mary Jo looked at her and she said, oh, I do. I know exactly what it's like to have a mother who's a drunk, an alcoholic. 
And I know what it's like when that school bell rings in the afternoon and you're coming home, but you don't want to go home because you know that, that maybe the, the house will be filled with smoke again. Your mom will be passed out on the kitchen floor, perhaps. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's there. You don't know. I know what it's like to have that knot in the pit of your stomach as you walk over the hill and see your house in the distance. Little girl kind of teared up. She said, you really do know what it's like being me? Yes, I do, Mary Jo said. Now let me tell you what it's like knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior and letter to the Lord. I didn't do it. Mary Jo didn't do it. Jesus simply was waiting for an invitation from her to come in and to make her whole. Well, let me just tell you, this uh, young lady, our last Sunday at that church was on an Easter Sunday, and I always arrived early, and, and when I came up to the church, I saw this little girl in a dress, first time I'd ever see her in a dress, sitting on the front steps of the church. And so when we got out of the car, she came running up to me, and she said, oh, I'm so glad that I'm here today. And I said, well, aren't you with your parents? She said, no, they wanted to go boating, and I knew this was going to be your last Sunday, and I wanted to be here for it. And I said, really? And she said, and look, I made you a card last night. And then she kind of got that look in her eyes, and she said, and everybody here will sign it. Kind of like that. So it was not a big surprise to me at the end of the day when every signature in that church was on that card. Who is going to? You don't refuse her. But she got out and she felt so happy about that. And she started to run off and got about 10 feet away, stopped and turned around and came and jumped into my arms. And she looked up at me and she said, and pastor, I want you to know I love you. I said, well, I love you too. And she just ran off. Now, where did that come from? It didn't come from me. It didn't come from Mary Jo. That came from the Spirit of God. He who receives a child in my name receives me, Jesus said. If you do anything to put a stumbling block or, or an occasion for that child to stumble in their walk with the Lord, in their pursuit of God, and there are dire consequences. So my question to you is this day, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you become childlike in your walk with him? Do you have that wow factor? Or is that something that, that as you are getting older or getting deep, more deep into your situation that... You can't remember the last time that you were wowed by God. Do you have that, that humility that puts Jesus first and others second and self last? Do you have that trust and faith in Jesus Christ as a small child would have in a parent that they trust? Huh. Are you cherishing of children? You know, with children... You could, you could take an apple, and I love that illustration. If I were to take an apple and cut it in half today and show all of you that apple, 
Everyone could tell me how many seeds were in that apple. But no one here today can tell me how many apples are in each seed. And such as it is with your witness, with your assistance to others to come to know Jesus Christ, to enable them to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you can never know the influence of a testimony well said, well lived, well spoken. Wow. The Bible goes down in verse 14 and said that God is not willing that any of these small ones should perish, but that all should be saved. That's why Jesus came into this world, to give this message that we would understand. So do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Now, some of you here this morning are here, maybe you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Please don't leave this building without asking him to come into your life. Others of you have trusted Jesus Christ, but there needs to be a spirit of rededication. Rededicating yourself to to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Others of you are looking for a church home. This, This appears to be a great place to be. It's not what the church can do for you. It's what you can do for the Lord in this congregation of faith. And so the invitation will be for all of us. You come as the Lord so directs. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we just praise you for who you are and we thank you for these decisions that are being made even now. Lord Jesus, forgive us for cynicism, for criticism, for being skeptical, for not having the faith and the trust in you that a small child would have. Forgive us for being more cantankerous as adults than childlike. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, and help us to be all that you want us to be. And we want to be very careful to give the praise and the glory for each and everything. Thank you for these decisions being made. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray these things. Amen. That's all for this edition of Living Faith. Stay connected to the teaching and preaching ministry of First Baptist Church by subscribing to this weekly podcast using your computer or mobile device. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet every Sunday for worship at 1045 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. We invite you to join us if you don't currently have a church home and are looking for a place where the Word of God is proclaimed with power and clarity. You can find access to all of this and much more by visiting our website at fbcap.net. We look forward to connecting with you. Until then, this is Living Faith.